All right, back in the studio, you're listening to Quok Talk. I'm Crystal here at K2H, and in the studio I have two lovely ladies I had mentioned earlier. Let's just begin by introducing them, because today we're talking about sister power, and what does it mean to have sister power? Well, these two ladies will let you know. First off, I have from Sisters Empowerment Hawaii. She's the host of this wonderful and important show on ThinkTech and doing her own thing and being a part of everything here, Sharon Yarbrough. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you. And we have, well, I know her from her dancing, and she's also very vocal uh, along with um, Sharon and doing, again, many things to address a lots of um, issues around racism here in Hawaii. Welcome to our show, Sequoia Donna Brown from Strange Fruit Express. Sequoia, welcome. Thank you. Aloha. All right. So today, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about sisterhood right we're celebrating sisterhood but what does that mean because when it comes to um women of color and can i just say that before i moved to back to the u.s i should say when i was in asia all these years i never considered myself um a person of color that was something that was labeled to me when i came here uh and it's not a good or bad thing. It's just that I never thought of myself as that because in Asia, we were all kind of just <laughs> Asian. Um, so it, it's just an interesting space also because in the light of so many things that's happened in the last few years, um, specifically Black Lives Matter and then the anti-Asian hate. So in the last two, three years, there's been a lot and a lot of um, activism and, and violence and tensions, particularly between these two communities. And I wanted to come together in this very safe space to talk about solidarity and what that means. Because I, I think this term solidarity has problematic implications. It's easy to say it, but what does it really mean? You know, that's the word we use to say, okay, we're all together. But I feel like it's just a word people throw around because it's the way to say, hey, look, we're in, don't, you know, don't point us out for being kind of problematic. It's, I don't know how you feel about that, but let's just start with that. Let's start with what your thoughts are on the, on the term solidarity. Any, any initial response to that? Well, you know, uh, what you see is what you get. That's what it really is. And solidarity means you are there with me, not speaking the language. You are doing something about it. Um, this is how I feel about it. And I, I'm not with a lot of talk, but I do like the action part of it, um, that you feel my pain, I feel your pain. Um, it's a verb. Solidarity is a verb, not just, just don't just speak it just to speak it, to be performative. Yeah, like that's a lot what of, I mean. Yeah, it feels like it's being. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, be it, do it, live it. And it doesn't have to be when something exactly happens. You can be in homogeneous, say, spaces, of, and then someone says something ignorant. And speak out. Don't just sit there and just let it slide. Say something, especially if you're amongst your own groups, you know, I mean, we're all humans here. But if you're in the same ethnic group, you know, or what, whatever it may be, and someone says something ignorant and you know in your heart and your spirit and soul that it is this is not called for speak out and say something and don't be afraid to think i don't want that you know lose that friendship well maybe they weren't the friend you thought in the first mm. place how why would you want that kind of person or energy around you you know so and it could educate and it might inform and maybe inspire others in the room to actually also speak yeah. out it resonates you know 
And, you know, I put something on my Facebook page today about boundaries. Mm. And, and that's where I think the tension comes in with people. They are afraid to approach that person about stepping on boundaries yeah. and you must this is why I've had my my girlfriends and my friends for so very many years we know what boundaries not to cross it's the newcomers that want to come in and you've got a girlfriend that doesn't happen that way it doesn't work that way we're a team here this is sisterhood mm-hmm. and when I elevate you elevate when you elevate I elevate and that's how it should be. And I, I also posted something about us being in a circle. Mm. No one is in front of you. Yes. No one is behind mm. yes. you. Yes. Mm. Well, that's in an ideal world, right? Well, you, you have to create. You have to create your sisterhood around that, though. Yeah. Now we cannot control the world, but in our safe space, we can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, when it comes to voice, and you both mentioned that, um, I think there's a lot of cultural context that. Um, maybe informs and influences the way something is perceived as being voiced, right? So some people have um, have a confidence to create their own voice all the time. Some people are quiet and, and, and afraid to, but it doesn't mean they don't have those feelings, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we have those issues. Like, you know, we talk about the model minorities and all that kind of crap right. and mm-hmm. labeling us being quiet and, and mm-hmm. obedient and mm-hmm. therefore a, a suitable example of how to fit into a certain thing when you say create you're talking about the asian yes race okay yes i got you you know what i'm saying yeah you're right Um, and 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 that's not always true because yeah right there's a lot of cultural context to the Mm -hmm. way people Mm -hmm. deliver Mm -hmm. so let's talk a little bit about voice um can we both uh, both of you sharon and sequoia share a little bit about how you feel you found your voice like think back about your childhood what were some momentous things that that kind of made you stand up and and, like you felt empowered by actually expressing yourself and that's kind of like opened up your power so to speak well my father was a minister, mm. and my mother was a school teacher, and later on a principal, and we moved around a lot. So coming from Ohio to, to um, hmm, Virginia, and then I went to college in Alabama, how mm. I found my voice when I was reared, raised, we didn't, my parents didn't want us to say yes ma'am and no ma'am. And c- when we moved to the South, that's what they were saying. Right. And they said, no, 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 no. And a lesson, because I was so excited that this lady waved at me. She was a white woman. And I was watching my counterpart, my schoolmates. This they were so Alabama. excited. How old this were This was you? in Virginia. Oh, Virginia. Okay. I was in the fifth, sixth grade. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so immediately my mother and father pulled to the curb and they said, wait a minute, you're only special to us. That immediately let me know that you're safe with us just because they're waving at you they're not on your side Mm. so immediately you start thinking you're only special to us because when your father's a minister and your mother's a school teacher they people seem to put you on a pedestal of some kind even like doctors lawyers or whatever and that's not so we're all equal so how i found my voice was in school because they sent me to private school where i was the only black girl there and then someone patted me on my back and it said if it's brown flush it oh gosh i've heard that term before never thought of Mm. it like that oh my goodness Mm. and you know i didn't know feeling this what and i told my 
father and mother about they immediately went up to the school immediately and I watched my mother and father how they spoke with the principal and the teacher of course they pulled me right out of the school and put me in private school was the best thing they've ever done so that taught me find your voice suppose your parents aren't there yes. to take up for you yeah. yeah wow well thank you for sharing that yeah I have Ooh. gotten more okay yeah. <laughs> well yeah we all have stories yeah. don't we goodness <laughs> well I know for my family the women in our family are very strong um, my great-great-grandmother uh, she ran this is in South Carolina my so I, I was born in Chicago but raised Southern, so my family was from the South. And um, so a similar, you know, yes ma'am, no ma'am, kind of those Southern etiquette ways of, um, you know, socializing and all were established within me. But at the same time, I'm growing up in Chicago, so you got a certain street sense mm. about you. So there were little nuances that would come up and about. and. Uh, Sometimes it would just be blatant, someone calling it N-word, and it would be different in your own community compared to a white person. So I went from living in Chicago to the suburbs of Chicago, and so hearing the differences between the N-word, the, you know, the tones and all the different that, I never liked it either way, honestly, but, um, you know, I one, I feel it's kind of, I get why I'm, my community would say it, trying to take this thing out of it, make it our own. But mm. at the same time, it's still, to me, there's a, a level of uh, nihilism to it. Mm. That's just the way I feel about it. So I don't like to use it. Although I do love the joke that, um, there's a joke that says, you know, say it all the time and it makes your teeth white. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard that one before. That's new to me too. <laughs> well, uh, But then we hear it from when it, with hate and vitriol. You know, my first day at a, a mostly white school, uh, a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy spat in my face and called me the N-word. Oh, and that was my first day of school, you know. And did your parents prep you for situations they, like that? They, you know, you, everyone gets to talk, oh, okay. you know. So there's one thing in theory, and it's another thing when you actually experience it. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's what is difficult because you have to absorb that because you're in a environment where you're the only one mm -hmm. you know and they'll turn on you like a lynch mob you know oh, and gosh. the adults certainly aren't going to do it because they have all these biases and things that they're you know so you're just kind of stuck there in time in space and time things move in slow motion in a way and you have mm. to absorb that right take that in um, but you try not to allow it to to break your spirit and that's something that I, my parents, they would immediately teach me my history and tell me, um, remind me of the shoulders, ancestral shoulders that we stood upon, mm -hmm. you know, and that would give me that, that sustenance and, you know, strength. But at the same time, you're, you're like always, you have another kind of streetwise about you, a sixth sense, you mm -hmm. know, you're always looking because, you know, you can't be off guard when it happens, and you know. You know, Crystal, I want to say, when you, when you speak about being um, on guard, oh. we know who you are before you do. Mm. We, we can feel it, yep. we can see it, we can smell it, because we're used to, from the time we were born, when, we were, when I was in the hospital room and I had my tonsils taken out, mm. they closed a curtain. I was living in Toledo, Ohio. They bathed the white 
girl, and they left the curtains open as if I was a puppy oh, and yeah. bathed me in front Exhibition. of everyone. Yeah. So see, mm-hmm. this is why we're animated. We, mm-hmm. Our voices are going to be raised a little. We're going to speak with our hands. That's just how it is, and I can let you take it away from there. Well, I just want to share my um, insignificant um, feeling about the term yes ma'am because you know as you all you both know that I you know have this documentary about you know kind of disrupting the binary conversations around race relations and in my research I had interviewed one of my um, aunts who grew up in the south and she remembered because she didn't grow up in the south that she was taught um, well, she heard yes, ma'am, all the time, and she was saying it to everyone. And then at some point, somebody told her, says, you don't say yes, ma'am, to the help. And that was her statement. And I had to, I didn't know how to respond to that. I mean, it was, I, I had to, it took me a while because there's so much loaded under that. Because first of all, as an Asian, first of all, we don't have that concept of this derogatory or this kind of placement, right? Mm-hmm. I, I never had to you know, like you both shared about your childhood, um, feeling these, these, these horrible discriminating um, incidents. I, I, I can't speak on that. And so it really, it, it just makes my, it gives me goosebumps because I feel like it's not my place to talk about this. And yet it, it's like, there is such um, an important conversation between um, different people of different nationalities to recognize these things that happen right it's like mm-hmm. just because i didn't experience this you know so anyway um so when she said that it just struck me because this whole yes ma'am um way of speaking yes it is a southern thing but it's also a derogatory or it's a placement thing right mm-hmm. so um i just wanted to leave it at that but i wanted to move on to talk more about Whew, well, I mean, you both started it with such an intimate and, and troubling <laughs> space of, of, uh, of anti-black racism. So we're going to continue with that. But let's take a quick break. Let's take a little nice uh, song by Alicia Keys. How about that? Yes, Yay. yes, yes. Girl on fire because we're all on fire because we have voices. We found our voices in one way or in the other. And we continue to shine on that and, and, and empower ourselves with that space. So you are listening to K2H. I'm Quok Talk here and uh, keep it locked.
KTUH would like to thank Leahi Health for their support of College Radio. Leahi Health is a plant-based food and drink restaurant that uses fresh fruits and vegetables in Hawaii. Leahi Health has locations in Kaimuki, Ainahaina, Koloa, Kauai, and Manoa Marketplace. To learn more about Leahi Health, you can follow their Instagram at Leahi Health or visit their website at leahihealth.com. KTUH does not air advertisements. However, we broadcast 20 to 30 second spots that acknowledge sponsors who donate funds to the station. KTUH underwriting is a way for your business, corporation, foundation, or organization to expand your network, awareness, and customer base. Connecting our diverse audience to your local business. If you're interested in supporting College Radio while also getting your message out to the community, you can contact us at underwriting at ktuh.org. That's underwriting at ktuh.org. Opinions and views heard may not be those of KTUH's licensees, management, nor staff. Back in the studio, welcome. I'm Crystal, you're listening to Quok Talk, and I'm here with Sequoia and Sharon talking about, wow, well, finding voice. And here we are, kind of a sister power group here, talking about um, race relations, solidarity, and addressing the Afro-Asian tensions that kind of still are infiltrating our lives as we speak. And I wanted to get into that today because um, earlier we talked about, you know, um, all the positive ways of getting our voices out. But at the same time, within this label of solidarity and we did kind of break that down earlier is what does it really mean you know how does it bring us together and how do we voice because we all have different um complicated paths that kind of inform us of who we are and when it comes to solidarity we're all coming from our baggage right and then it's like okay so when we come to this space you know sharon you mentioned how we're all on equal terms but people have different voices right they're loud voices small voices different ways of interpreting things and then it gets a little muddled sometimes so let's talk about how do we really address you know this allyship um and if you don't mind us speaking and referencing the film my film um, blurring the color line because i think it opens up this kind of uncomfortable conversation of okay yes we're all women of color but are there some differences that put tension on our relationships sometimes. Mm. So I don't know if you've had any experiences that have made you feel like we, you know, you've misunderstood each other because of certain, I don't know, cultural differences or just situations. Yes, I have, more so here in Hawaii. Mm. Yeah, this is why um, I started, I'm the founder and president of Sisters in Park Hawaii, Hawaii's foremost women's empowerment organization, where we educate, motivate, and empower all women. I felt the need to have this organization where we had power luncheons and book signings and invite all nationalities to the luncheon so we can we can have this safe space and we can celebrate each other because I think if we don't celebrate with each other and for each other then we're misunderstood so even every March I have Women's History Month where we celebrate the accomplishments of not only women here in Hawaii 
but also on the mainland. So I would bring a guest speaker from the mainland so they can get the feel of what we feel here. Uh, Hawaii is totally different from any other place it's I've its ever country, lived in. Right. And it's just, it's different here. The, they're not, people not looking at you in your eye when they speak with you. They look above you. It's like as if you're invisible here. Wait, you think that you don't see that in other places? It's, I know. See, this is a new home to me here. So I had to understand how it's done here. Okay. On the mainland, they just let you know. Okay. You, up front, you're not welcomed. Oh, uh, no, I this is not for you. But here it's very subtle. Uh. It's very subtle. So you had to learn the body language. You're specifically here. talking about anti black racism. Okay. Yeah, passive aggressive mm. is, is what it is. Yeah. There's, um, I mean, compared to mainland, you could say that that invisibility is a, in a way refreshing compared to being blatantly. <laughs> Right, it's like okay, fine. You don't see me at all. You're not messing with me. I'll take that over. Someone blatantly right, calling me right. an N-word or whatever, okay. you know. But at the same time, when you're trying to maybe navigate, get a job or any, you know, trying to socialize, there's this certain level of, you know, oh, I see you, but I don't. And and I think sometimes people here, not all. But they take in what the mainland brings mm -hmm. and applies it to those of us who are navigating just as much as they are here. So um, I understand this is an AAPI, you know, focused kind of mm -hmm. uh, culture, and I respect that, and I see that. Um, but there's others that are here, too. African-American experience has been here a very, very long time, pre-military. Mm -hmm. So there's always that assumption, too, that if you're black, then you must be military, right? You know, I feel that here. and I know those who have a long history here, African American heritage, have take issue with that, and, and I've heard in you know conversations how they have to try to navigate through that or explain no, it's not us, and you know, and um, so there's this, yeah, it, it's interesting navigating. I kind of like the invisibility, but at the same time, when it really comes down to like you got to make your money, you got to do certain things, you know, you want to be seen and seen as a true three-dimensional person, not a trope or stereotype that yeah. is being uh, imported from the mainland. Do you feel like you have to work extra hard to make people or to dismantle those stereotypes? Types. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. Always have to make that effort. Always. I mean, you you know, we're talking, you said our parents give you the talk. You show mm -hmm. up 15, 20 minutes before time. Mm -hmm. um, you you work as hard. You stay late at the office. You come early to the office. This is what is ingrained yeah. into us, you know, yeah. into our spine, into our minds. Mm -hmm. um, but when we were talking about um, being invisible, it's when you're going to a board meeting or I'm trying to present my package to corporations and, you know, just the look and the stare and um, the questioning, and it's, it's fine, it's good because you're ready for it. You know, I have my mm -hmm. packages mm -hmm. there. No, no, who have you worked with? They want to know who have you worked with. For, I think that's probably with everyone, I think. Papers, please. Yeah, but, but what <laughs> I love about what mm. Shirley Chisholm said she said, if they don't have a chair at the table for you, bring a folding chair. Okay. <laughs> right. So I'm 
always prepared when I'm going in and pitching my business yeah. because I'm asking corporations for money right. or I'm asking for something for my organization. And once I let them know I have a rainbow coalition that I'm honoring, it's always better. But you got to get to the space where they're going to hear you first, though. Well, so. and I'll tell you, you're right. I sent my Japanese girlfriend into this venue to see how much they were going to charge. They told her one amount, and when I walked in really? to get it, they added $500 oh, to me. Right. To This mm -hmm. is here in Hawaii. Right mm -hmm. here. Wow. Right here. I can name it, but I won't. No, no. okay. And it's all right. I won't do and that. we've had a collaborative project. I won't say where, but... <laughs> sent my information I was presenting very honored to do so you know children and youth and uh, everything was a go right yeah Everything was fine and then all of a sudden then follows up this papers please kind of format it was oh. like so I had to break down everything basically by second by second what I am going to be doing and saying like implying for, that you couldn't deliver yes mm -hmm. Yes, so although I have subtle. all this background experience right. over 30 years worth, an NEA awardee, thank you very much. I mean, all kind of different things, you know. So, but still with that, I'm always having to prove, yourself. prove myself over and over and over again. And even just to get certain gigs sometimes, I have to be on in a collaborative I have to be, have the like approval or have someone the front person has to be not me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what I have to do to even get a toe oh. in the door and um, I've lost my train of thought you were hitting right on something but anyway I'll come back to it it was just so on point what you were saying well, while you're thinking of that I just wanted to add one more thing to the women's issue when you talk about the boardroom and what you're supposed to be presenting and how you're supposed to mm -hmm. prove yourself similar one more tip somebody told me and this was from this lady from the East West Center she said don't ever bring a notebook in because they'll think you're the secretary <laughs> so well, I don't bring notebooks. <laughs> but I'm just saying like yeah. on the woman's side yeah, you're alone, right. mm -hmm, there's right. this assumption like why are you here with all these people on mm -hmm, this top tier mm -hmm. and what makes you think you have the right to say something oh you remember I remember hey, Sharon, go I was pitching my my <laughs> business with my two partners one in California and one in um, Chicago and the other one was in Nashville and the, the organization was here in Hawaii. Uh -huh. At the end, after I, we talked about our com accomplishments, they asked me, well, do you have a bank account? What? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, just, yeah. Yeah. just that. And, and I said, and I'm debt free. <laughs> of credit course score. I have a bank account. Do they, they even? Well, I, I mean, yeah. and these are, you know, well-known people that I was wow. pitching to that <laughs> I could really name some names up in here, but I don't want to. I don't want to give them that power. Yeah, I don't want to give them that power, but I wanted to congratulate you on blurring the oh, lines, yes. blurring the okay. color lines. Uh, congratulations. I just, just, yeah, congratulations to you. Because you, we, we watched you work through this for, what, five years or so? <laughs> mm -hmm. And that was wonderful. Thank you. But how do you feel, honestly, about the way um, I addressed um, anti-black racism and the relationship between the Chinese and black community that I explore? Because, you know, one of my biggest concerns was how is it going? I, I had this um, th this creative consultant. 
she's a, a black lady from San Francisco and she worked very closely with me when I created the narrative and it was the most painful process I have to tell you because mm -hmm. there were so many things I didn't recognize as being potentially coming across as racist or insensitive mm -hmm. I didn't see certain things so um, maybe if you don't mind I can bring out one of the examples in the film I love it because when, we did see the film okay. and it was a few eyebrow raising that we got it okay you got it yeah okay. your family got it so please bring it up okay yeah so like there's this part where this um, wonderful man Cedric talks about how he grew up in a very kind of impoverished um, neighborhood his mom was a single mom worked hard and he got through high school I don't know if you remember that part but he was talking about how his mom said he could never go to prison because half jokingly you if you ever get in I wouldn't be able to bail you out because mm -hmm. I don't have the money. Mm -hmm. All right. So be good. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah. thought that was, you know, quite mm -hmm. endearing the way he said that. Mm -hmm. But my consultant says, you got to cut that out. I said, why? She says, because that's playing into the whole stereotypes that the black people go to prison. Okay. So I didn't see that coming. But after she said that, I recognized it. But then I wasn't ready to cut that out because I thought it was still an important piece and why he chose to tell that story, right? It's his story. Right. Yeah. But the implications, and so tell me, how do we address, you know, when if all the stories come out as being negative about the past, growing up black in this racist society, does that reinforce things or does that help us address it and move things forward? I think it could go either way. I think it can be a double-edged sword, but you know the the whole thing about it is, is we have to let people know that we have a rich history. We built this country. They don't want to give us. This yeah, you know, we yes. built the White House. The the, the gentleman did it um, from his memory, because they, he was afraid they were going to take it from if they would teach black history as American history. Right. Mm -hmm. They would tell it, tell more stories about the positive side as well. Yes. Because through the struggles, yeah. we have really survived. Yes. And continue to survive and thrive. Yes. Look at Justice Katanji Brown Jackson, which yes. she had to endure. Yes. But she was prepared for it. Because growing up, you know, people don't know what we go through. I would tell my girlfriend, I walk out outside of my house with a different armor on when I put my stilettos on. This is before COVID. Because I I know what's, what is expected of me, mm -hmm. and I know what people don't believe in me. So I think we have to tell both sides of the story. Right. This what makes us strong. Yeah. This, is, this is what motivates us. Yeah. And that we're educating people that, yes, this can happen, but look at what we've accomplished. Right. So we have to look back at the past, recognize the troubling aspect of it, where it came from, and at the same time, celebrate the positive things. And on my notes, you know, one of the couple of things I wanted to ask you guys were the heroines. For me, in my work, in my when I teach um, media and film class here, at UH, I love to bring in bell hooks and Toni Morrison, but there is still that binary way of treating it because honestly, in their era, they, they addressed it from a black and white perspective and not complicating it with the Asian space. But mm -hmm. anyway, I just wanted to ask you, if you had any heroines, people who influenced you to a point where it really struck you as how you can kind of put what you want and to shift the narrative. Uh, I mean, are there people in your lives that have done that to you? or historical figures? Well, not, there's many historical figures for me, but I've had five mentors that from COVID have passed, and one was Jerry Lange, and she was the first black woman 
in radio and journalism in Oakland. And if you remember that last name, her son, um, Ted Lang, was a bartender on the Love Boat. She taught me so much. I mean, the way they treated her. And when she passed, I think she was almost 100 years old. And you sit and you listen to their stories and how they had to fight for it, how she was ignored in in California, and she had to come here to write her story. Mm. She had to come here. So just, I mean, even there's people like Faye Kennedy, Marsha Joyner, people that in our lifetime that we've had the chance to sit down and talk story with. Marsha mm-hmm. Joyner was very, uh, she, she boots on the ground. I mean, mm-hmm. for the Martin Luther King holiday, she fought for that. I mean, but of course there, you know, you have your Harriet Tubman, you have your Sojourner right. Truth, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. it, I had the chance to hug them listen to them, love them. That's great. Yeah. I can't say I have for in a Chinese American and this goes back to the voice thing. People historically I mean there are many accomplishments by Asians of course, but they're not I know I don't want to say they're not celebrated, but they're not written in history because we tend to be the quiet race or whatever that means. So there were no influence. Look at Hollywood. There are no representation. Mm-hmm. Only very recently. Yeah, everything's a footnote for uh, communities of color. We're all people of color here, right? So American history is all of our history, but it's usually the strain. It's always the thread is always straight European and male. Yeah, look at Christian these academic institutions. It's still controlled yeah. by. and that. it's more to it than that. All of us have contributed to it, right? But yeah. all everyone else outside of that main thread. Yeah are nominal figures only and if it weren't for those nominal figures we wouldn't have had much of anything right Right. we wouldn't have much progress so you know for me in the past i've like ida b wells she's like oh that woman was just amazing to me and then you know bell hooks as well is one of my favorites Mm -hmm. you know but ultimately all the women in my family my mother and car you know miss gladys you know, and it's Miss uh, Miss Iota. I mean, these are strong women who went through from Jim Crow mm. on up and just persevered. Strong yeah. black women and wouldn't take any crap. You know, and so cranked out some strong women. I see that women. in your work. I see it in your dance because you Im- embody all that it's not just a path there's something so powerful mm-hmm. and i've never had a chance to tell you that in oh, the last it's, it's deep rooted it is it is and there's that energy that you can't explain you just thank can't. you and thank you that's the ancestors that. yeah. <laughs> but it's something that queen butterfly she said to me 40 years ago she said if we don't tell our own stories we meaning black people, African-American, they would have Ray Charles being an Eskimo. Oh, for sure. So we have to continue, like you're telling your story through blurring the color lines. Mm -hmm. We have to tell our stories to keep it 
in front, out front. And we'll talk about that later when we talk about Juneteenth, too. Yes, so that's a perfect time to cook one more song break, and we'll come back and we're going to celebrate things that come to be and what we do to make things come to be. And Juneteenth is coming around, and we're going to see how you guys decide we're supposed to be celebrating that. So don't go away. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Sequoia and Sharon here about being powerful women with voices and agency. Harassing. Imagine going to court with no trial. Lifestyle cruising blue Bahama waters. No welfare supporters. More conscious of the way we raise our daughters. Days are shorter. Nights are colder. Feeling like life is over. These snakes strike like a cobra. The world's hot. My son got knocked. Evidently, it's elementary. They want us all gone eventually. Trooping out of state for a plate. Knowledge. If coke was cooked without the garbage, we'd all have the top dollars. Imagine everybody flashing. Fashion designer clothes. Lacing your click up with diamond rolls. Your people's holding dough. No parole, no rubbers, going raw, imagine law with no undercovers, just some thoughts for the mind, I take a glimpse into time, watch the blimp read, the world is mine. If I rule the world, imagine that, I free all my these last days until where to be paradise life relaxing black latino and anglo-saxon Armani exchange the range cast lost tribes your bass free at last brand new whips to crash then we laugh in the illa path the villa houses for the crew how we do trees for breakfast dime sexes have been stretches so many years of depression make me vision the better living type of place to raise kids in opening eyes to the lies history's told foul but i'm as wise as the old owl plus the gold child seeing things like i was controlling click rolling Tricking six digits on kicks and still holding trips to Paris. I civilize every savage. Give me one shot, I turn tripe life to lavish. Political prisoners set free, stress free. No work release, purple and threes and jet skis. Feel the wind breeze in West Indies. I think Coretta Scott King, mayor the cities in reverse beans, the willies. It sound foul, but every girl I meet to go downtown. I'd open every cell in Attica, send them to Africa. Making moves in Atlanta back and forth scrambler Cause you can have all the chips Be poor or rich Still nobody want a nigga have a shit If I rule the world and everything in it Sky's the limit I push the Q45 and 
infinite. It wouldn't be no such thing as jealousies or be felony. Strictly living longevity to the destiny I thought I'd never see, but reality struck. Better find out before your time's out. What the fuck? If I the world, imagine that. Recommended by Luna, who is Sequoia Donna Brown's daughter, who's sitting in here. And, you know, intergenerational relationships, I think, are so important to uh, acknowledge because mother-daughter conversations about, we're talking sister power, right? You know, where does it come from? It comes from things like, even if you're not saying things, when when Luna when sees you speaking here, I think it's something very uh, powerful. When I brought my daughter, when I went to Georgia to do research for my film, and she was just sitting in the back looking bored like Luna is right now, <laughs> you know, it's like you, they're taking things in, and it's just really um, important to see and recognize how we continue to do things. It's not like, okay, it's your mother, you're done, you just cook dinner, and then, you, you know, yeah. whatever. But, yeah, Sharon. I wanted to congratulate you. Mm-hmm. We'd send, Judge Sandra Sims and I, we were having lunch together at the uh, Moana Hotel with uh-huh. Seroptimus Mental Health. Crystal is a recipient of a Seroptimus Founder Region Fellowship Award in the amount of $10,000. Each year, Seroptimus members in the Founder Region award women PhD candidates entering into their final year of their doctoral studies grants that will allow them to complete their studies and minimize stress about their finances. Yeah. Oh my God. You know how much huge of a hole I dug with my documentary, but thank you for recognizing that I've, I've never, I haven't shared this information at all because I don't think they even like anybody's done any official no, <laughs> yeah. announcement, but your name you came up at the luncheon. Yeah. At our table, oh, there was some heavy hitters wow. sitting there at the, at the oh. luncheon, and I said, "Oh, that's my girlfriend." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> send me the info. We're gonna, we're gonna See, we know, we know, and that's what sisterhood is. Mm. This is what sisters in part of is about. That's what sister part. We have to elevate each other. Yes. yes. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And and why are we here today? We are talking about so many things. And, and why why is it significant this month of June, Sharon and Sequoia? What else, other than the fact that we are sharing our own stories that inform us of who we are and the important work we do, what's going on? 
Well, Juneteenth, the oldest known celebration of the end of slavery in the United States, is observed every year on June 19th. Americans will recognize the holiday on a Sunday in 2022. And so the African American Lawyers Association and Sisters in Parang Hawaii, along with the Oahu uh, Democrat community, were holding a Juneteenth um, celebration at Kaka'ako Park. And it's it's the, the twist of this one, um, Sequoia and Luna and Crystal. We are going to be. It's in honor of Justice Katande Brown Jackson. So join us on June 19th for fun, education, entertainment. All are welcome to celebrate Freedom Day on Juneteenth. Tell us though, what is the history of this whole Juneteenth? And you know because. How long have we people been active? Because I feel like it's more recent that this movement of celebrating and giving voice to Juneteenth has been increasingly visible. It wasn't like that all the time, was it? Well, no. Like, what is Juneteenth? Why is it important? Um, history of the holiday on June 19th. 1865, mm -hmm. Major General Gordon Granger and Union soldiers arrived in Galveston, Texas. With them, they brought news that the American Civil War had ended and enslaved people were now free. So that's huge. I mean, but and, it took and then two years to, to, get years to two and, and a half years yeah, for Texas the news. Texas didn't say anything, right? Yeah, <laughs> Not Texas, a word, of course. Yeah, for the news to spread <laughs> to the Lone no. Star State after President Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation became official on January first, eighteen sixty-three, the Thirteenth Amendment ratified in eighteen sixty-five freed enslaved mm -hmm. people throughout the country. Mm -hmm. Okay, but many things in my head right now. First of all, like what's really changed in terms of the racial ways we, our country's divided now, right? That's yeah. one of my questions. Another was if you had been living during that time as a woman of color, I, I don't know. I mean, how, how, how do you fathom your ancestors would have reacted to that news being two more than two hours two years late i, well, I don't know how much i that. know first of all the, <laughs> my family or my family i would either have been dead anyway Lynched. or a pirate <laughs> you'd but, have been a pirate that <laughs> just wouldn't happen but um it's interesting because there is sort of a debate amongst the community about you know how it's being commercialized it was used to be our thing and nobody it was kind of an underground thing amongst our own community that this is something that we do you know very rich cultural history and it was for us and by us and now that it's been brought on a federal level and national level and you know it's this capitalism we don't want it's turning into I know how Cinco de Mayo was turned into mm. right and it's it's all commercialized yes. and a prime example that debacle of a campaign of Walmart with that ice cream that red velvet ice cream I mean the least it could have done is gotten a black company to you know but oh. you know it's, it, it's, it's, it's even this month for pride month right yeah you know all these companies and corporations are all performative and you know they have all these product lines and everything has rainbows and all you know it's just ridiculous it's yeah. just yeah. why it's, can't it be celebrated all the time every yes. time yes. and it's just it just seems very insincere yeah yeah because it's all comes down to money and, and yeah 
and then it's kind of like okay now shut up you got that so don't talk about it. now there's no more racism because now we have oh yeah you we know we red black and green it. or a pride flag on the shelf at a, at a commercial <laughs> store so everybody's happy and united and it's no it's, that's it's why so i'm going back deeper. to that solidarity thing is it's not just a term it's action yeah mm-hmm. so it's not just a celebration but it's a continual movement and yeah. a continual uh recognizing of the need to continue these conversations so unfortunately we're out of time but we're going to continue these conversations as we always do and i hope um sharon and sequoia you can come back and come you know continue to share the important things you are both working on um thank you for sharing your stories today and again everyone remember that juneteenth is the 19th of june three o'clock in kakako by the picnic area is that right? That's correct. Thank right. you. Yes. Thank you. And thank you, Crystal. To you. Aloha. Thank you. Aloha. Oh, you guys are amazing. All right. Keep doing your important work, ladies. Yo, this is Wads Nakajima from Tokyo, Japan. Guy Janayo. You are listening to KTUH FM Honolulu. Exploring Science in the Sea. There's an old saying that if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Some folks in northeastern Canada are following that advice, with a twist. When life gives them icebergs, they're making vodka and selling excursions to the bergs to eager tourists. The businesses are taking off along Iceberg Alley. That's a stretch of ocean from Greenland to Labrador and Newfoundland. Big chunks of ice break off glaciers in Greenland and follow the current down to Canada. A thousand glaciers or more can cruise through this narrow region each year, which make it hazardous for shipping. Thanks to an extensive tracking and reporting program, though, there haven't been any major collisions in decades. Instead, the glaciers have become a resource. Scientists study them to learn more about Earth's changing climate. The numbers and sizes of icebergs, the timing of their appearances, and other details can help scientists predict the changes taking place in Greenland's glaciers. Business people are interested in the icebergs, too. The iceberg season, which begins in early spring, brings in thousands of tourists. They can approach the bergs in kayaks or larger boats or fly over them in helicopters. And a few entrepreneurs are using the icebergs themselves. They harvest small bergs known as bergy bits. They use the ice to make vodka, wine, beer, and other beverages. And some melt the ice and bottle it, creating some of the most expensive bottled water on the planet, harvested from Iceberg Alley. Science in the Sea is a production of the University of Texas Marine Science Institute. We're on the web at scienceandthesea.org. I'm Holly Brawley. The KCC Farmer's Market has reopened. Get your local fresh produce and foods on the Kapi'olani Community College campus grounds Saturdays from 7.30 to 11.30 a.m. Located at 4303 Diamond Head Road with free parking in lots A, C, and E. The KCC Farmer's Market is strictly grab-and-go. Face masks required at all times, and no on-site consumption on campus is allowed. More information on the KCC Farmer's Market and others is available at the Hawaii Farm Bureau website, hfbf.org, hfbf.org, 
at the KCC Farmers Market Saturday mornings at 4303 Diamond Head Road. Always shown by the media Negative images is the main criteria Infecting the young minds faster than bacteria Kids wanna act like what they see in the cinema yeah. Whatever happened to the values of humanity Whatever happened to the fairness and equality Instead of spreading love, we're spreading animosity Lack of understanding leading us away from unity That's the reason why sometimes I'm feeling under That's the reason why sometimes I'm feeling down It's no wonder why sometimes I'm feeling under Gotta keep my faith alive till love is found Now ask yourself One word, one word. 
we got. One word, one word. And something's wrong with it. Yeah. Something's wrong with it. Yeah. Something's wrong with the good world, world. Yeah, we only got one word, one word. And so we got one
Right. That was uh, from an album called Pleasure. Now is the time. Thank you for tuning in. This is Quok Talk on KTUH, and I hope you enjoyed my in-studio chat with Sequoia Donna Brown and Sharon Yarbrough, sharing such intimate thoughts, you know, their experiences growing up, um, black in a predominantly white neighborhood, what it means to be, you know, sisters empowerment, coming together and sharing stories and really kind of addressing our different communities and how we are connected through our different histories and and addressing tensions that we do face day to day now so really really appreciate that so um at this point i'm going to flip the narrative a little bit and shifting it to us something in the world of lgbtq i'm so excited to share this interview that i had engaged with the director of i'm sure you've seen a lot of uh, hype about it i have anyway of fire island so fire island is a hulu original uh it's also co-produced by searchlight pictures and so the director is andrew allen so i had the privilege of talking to him and boy it's a fun film you know it's starring uh well the ones you would know probably are bowen yang who you know of saturday night live fame and of course margaret cho who is the one of the first uh, asian american comics out there and this was written by joel kim booster who plays the sexy main star in this film but i'm gonna just play the interview so you have a chance to listen to the wonderful things that uh, this film reveals again it's all about fire island it's fun it's sexy and it's uh, breaking all these um, barriers on asians in this uh, gay space and just breaking barriers i love it i love it so listen to this this is so fun. Um, let me just back up by first saying that I had the privilege of watching this film when I was in San Francisco uh, a few weeks ago when I was there. And here we are at K2H talking to the uh, director of Fire Island, Andrew An, Korean American filmmaker. Welcome, Andrew, to K2H. Hi, thank you for having me. This is, no, I'm serious. Like I, I went with a girlfriend and we went there and I swear we were the only Asian straight girls in the whole theater um, on Van Ness Street. But yeah. it was brilliant because it was a great crowd and the energy in there was awesome. And it was, it was special because I felt like it was a moment that um, we both realized was historical. So well, let's start by talking about how you put this together uh, in a nutshell. Would you care to tell our audience what Fire Island's all about? Yeah, so Fire Island is an unapologetic modern-day rom-com um, set uh, on Fire Island, a gay vacation destination outside of New York City, uh, and it's an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, and it focuses on the friendship of two queer Asian Americans who are looking for love. <laughs> so even in that log line, uh, connecting Jane Austen to the gay community is already kind of an intersectional aspect that we're going to dig right into because here on campus, you know, people who are studying English literature and um, women's studies and looking, looking at the whole LGBTQ movement um, in the world today, uh, it's an interesting conversation. So first of all, um, I wanted to again say when we were back at that screening, you had an introductory um, speech where you said something about this gay Asian space. I've never heard that term before, gay Asian. 
Is that something that's new or is that something that you coined or is it? Oh, no, it, it's it's probably decades old, you know, oh. it's it's a fun, you know, way to, um, I guess, uh, uh, just say gay Asian faster is just to go <laughs> Asian, you know, all the way through, um, you know, you save a syllable. Um, and, and I think I use it as a term of endearment, like I really um, love um you know my gaijin community it, it's a it's such a great um uh community to be a part of and uh and there are you know uh not as many representations of a gaijin community on screen you know and uh there's there's definitely a, a history of them but um you know i'm i'm excited to be a part of growing this um uh you know this canon of TV and film that, um, you know, shows Gaijin people as, you know, cool, you know, important people to see, you know, in media. Yeah, and, and to speak to that, um, that was another thing that I noticed in the film is that because oftentimes when you put in the whole ethnic idea, you know, for the Asian minority aspect into a film that you're trying to reach a, a you know, a, a non-ethnic based story, you did you you did that you treated it very well you didn't put in and i don't know if that was intentional or not to not drag in the baggage that asians have of the uh the, the trauma of you know being under these kind of very patriarchal structures of of behaving was that intentional yeah i mean i think we wanted to focus on a very specific part of the you know gay asian american experience um you know i think uh, this film is showing, um, you know, how, uh, uh, you know, we're seen within this context of Fire Island. There, there are so many other things that are happening, you know, off screen, uh, you know, back at home. I wonder what Howie and Noah's lives are like, you know. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, Joel wanted to tell a story about his experiences on Fire Island and, how being Asian American, um, you know, uh, makes you like seen differently there. Um, right. And uh, I really uh, uh, loved the the focus of that uh, of that story. Yeah, and when you mentioned Joe, you mean Joel Kim Booster, who is the star and the writer of this film. Yeah. which is brilliant. So Joel, tell us a little bit about Joel. I mean, he was a stem, he was a comedian, he's an actor, he's a writer. Um, and you said he's drawing from his own personal experience at Fire Island. Now, for people who don't know Fire Island, as I um, brief, you know, understand it in a small sense, is that it's, um, it, it's, it's on the East Coast, New York, off there, where people kind of go off on their summer retreats. And uh, it's predominantly, a, for my, my sense, is a very privileged white space, actually, right? And so here you are putting yourself this whole Asian-dominated film on, in a space like that. That sounds yeah. interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, Joel has talked about how, um, you know, Fire Island is a, a, a really... Uh, uh, you know, significant place. It's been um, a gay haven for many decades, you know, mm. stretching back to the 50s, where closeted people could go, you know, to the island, escape the city and escape, you know, um, social pressure to be themselves. Um, you know, unfortunately, 
you know, uh, it, it hasn't uh, always been so inclusive, especially to uh, people of color. Right. Um, and it's also a very expensive place to go um, right. because you have to be able to afford it. Um, you know, uh, but when Joel went the first time, you know, um, he really saw um, uh, what was special about it and he really wanted it to be more inclusive, you know. Um, he went with Bo and Yang and uh, yeah. and I'm sorry I didn't mention that you it's also stars Bo and Yang and yeah. also Margaret Cho so brilliant cast yeah yeah it's a really cool cast but but yeah when when they went the first time you know they crammed a bunch of people into one house so that they could afford it and yeah. you know I think uh, in um, making this film uh, we're trying to make Fire Island a more inclusive place for people and and yeah. hope that people can see themselves there because there's something really special about yeah. um, being able to go to a space where you can be queer and, yeah. and not- A safe be space, right? Kind of, yeah. Space. Exactly. But, but it's a very site-specific place too. You know, you, you go there with the intention of having this summer flings or, I mean, it's a setup <laughs> like that in the, in the story, of course, is yeah. that okay, we're going to have these, you know, great adventures and have these great sexual escapades. And, and Bo and Yang's character is the virgin guy who's like, not, you're not, not sure if he can really do this. So I'm, my question, or I'm curious about the sexuality within the gay community and, and specifically Asian community, because there's that taboo about, you know, um, hypersexuality within certain types of communities, but then, so within the gay community, and I don't know if this film kind of makes people wonder or assume that there's a lot of sex going on always within, you know, I, my, so I'm, my question is, does it, does it kind of, reinforce that kind of a, a, a way of thinking about the lifestyle of gays? Or um, is that, a, again, a specific story that you hope that doesn't do that? I, I think, uh, I mean, uh, the, the truth of it is that uh, in this world, there are more straight people having sex than gay people, you know? Like, that's just the truth of it. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, for many queer people, um, you know, uh, we've been oppressed by, you know, a very heteronormative society and um, to uh, express ourselves through our sexuality is um, an important part of, uh, you know, um, our uh, self-care is, is part of our lives. And, you know, the sexuality that we show in the film, um, you know, is, uh, you know, just part of the experience. It's not something Unapologetic. That, yeah, you know, we didn't, we didn't want to um, uh, avoid showing sex because that would make yes. the experience feel untruthful, you know? Um, and so, you know, I, uh, I, I, I think that um, if someone's going to judge the film, you know, for, um, uh, you know, it reinforcing this stereotype of hypersexuality, you know, I, I think that they're missing the fact that there are so many other aspects of the gay experience that we are portraying here, you know, including friendship, uh, including community, including, you know, uh, uh, music and, um, you know, yeah. that's something that I hope that uh, they realize is, um, 
you know, just as much a part of our lives as, yeah. you know, our, our sexuality. I agree. There's a lot of warmth to your film. And, and I think you balance that well with the romance um, and, and the play, you know, the playfulness of these spaces. Um, are those underwear parties real? Yeah, those are real parties. Yeah, I went to an underwear party in, you know, researching the movie uh, on Fire <laughs> Island at that location. Yeah. You know, um, it's a, it, it, you know, I think it's a really, uh, uh, like, fun and, and kind of liberating space. Um, you know, uh, it, it's it's a big part of the Fire Island experience. And, and I think it's, you know, very funny in the adaptation, you know, from Pride and Prejudice that, the big Netherfield ball turns into an underwear party. Yeah, no, I love that. And, and you know, going to analogies, um, I wonder if we can talk about maybe the idea of Fire Island being an island, you know, and Honolulu is an island. So, you know, what is an island mentality? Um, what are some thoughts on the idea that you are kind of isolated and yet, and then you're kind of like grouped together in this space where you don't really have immediate access to leave and you work together in a very unique community? Yeah, you know, I think um, uh, there's something about um, getting on the ferry, you know, from Sayville crossing the water to Fire Island that um, uh, builds a sense of anticipation. Like you get really yeah. excited to go, you know. Yeah, a um, journey. It's a journey, yeah. And, and I think that that places some heightened um you know expectation and energy for like what's going to happen there and yeah. um I, uh, I i i think when people step off that boat um they're ready for an adventure you know um uh i i also think that there's just a, a beauty to the um the landscape you know it's a really um gorgeous environment the flora the fauna um yeah. you know uh I, I think it's a great place to um, uh, kind of reconnect to, uh, you know, the land in a way that especially, you know, living in New York City, you can feel kind of um, separate sure. from. Right. So you, the need to feel, to be reconnected with nature. And also, you, you know, we're going to tap into the whole literature uh, lingo as well as I'm always thinking like Shakespearean language of uh, the forest and entering a forest and things happening there, you know, sexual encounters happening out in the woods. And that's kind of similar because, you know, the Joel, you're the character Noah. And, you know, when he has some issues, you know, he would kind of walk off into the woods. So there's a lot of interesting kind of imagery um, with nature. Um, and, and to think about nature and sex also, is it also in another interesting parallel, right? Like what is sexuality? What are what is our what is our nature? You know? Yeah, I, I, I think that it's um uh you know it's it's part of our um you know uh our instincts, you know, and um and it's how we uh you know search for um, pleasure. It's how we, uh, you know, how we survive. You know, there, there's something about um, uh, human nature that I think is, um, you know, undeniable. And I think it's really interesting um, that you have the very constructed, um, you know, kind of hierarchy of society that Jane Austen is talking about in Pride and Prejudice, 
but you ultimately boil it down to very, um, you know, very human basic needs. Yes. And, you know, the flesh, the body, the need for each other, um, whether it is sexual or not, if it, you know, romance, it's still something that is the heart, again, of, of your story, I think. Um, so to speak of the flesh, can I just go a little bit further that? Because in the film, again, coming from um, as a straight um, Asian female, when I see the scenes where you have those kind of like orgy-like scenes in those rooms, yeah. it's quite a visual shock because I've never seen that before. You know, I've never really played on the porn sites to look at this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, wow, <laughs> you know? Um, I don't think you had an intention to be a shock factor, did you? I mean, it was just your that world. Yeah, it's 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 just showing the the world, you know, uh, that is a thing that exists, and and I think as long as you know uh, these acts are consensual, that it is um, you know really beautiful. Uh, I I think that um, uh, you know we uh, we wanted to. Um, show these as um, elements of the Fire Island experience, right. um, and uh, and and that uh, you know, it, like they're fun. They can sometimes be funny. They can right. some you know sometimes be uh, like kind of silly, and yeah. and that that's you know just um, a part of what makes this community um, you know multifaceted, you know Absolutely. nuanced and. And yeah, fun. yeah, using humor to do that. Okay, if you're just tuning in, I am interviewing the director of Fire Island, Andrew Ang. I'm taking a quick break from the interview to share a little bit of the surf report. So what is going on today in Honolulu? Well, a series of small, medium period swells will keep surf along the south-facing shores elevated over the next several days. Surf heights will drop a bit from Friday into the weekend as south swell energy begins to fade. And the current small northwest swell will fade going into Tuesday with declining surf heights along north and west-facing shores through Friday. Another small medium period northwest swell arrives from late Saturday into Sunday, elevating surf along the north and west facing shores just in time for the weekend. And eastern facing shores will see small wind wave chop through Friday with east shore surf heights rising through the weekend as trade winds strengthen. The north-facing shores this afternoon claim one to five, one to three feet. Excuse me. West-facing shores is one to three feet. South-facing two to four feet, and east-facing is one to three feet. Special mahalo to Surf and Sea for supporting College Radio. Surf and Sea, Hawaii's ocean sports headquarters, has been on the beach for over 50 years in historic Haleva Town, where you can try before you buy surf, sup and dive right in their backyard. For more info, you can go to surfandsea.com or at 637-SURF-SURF-AND-SEA on the beach since 1965. K2H Underwriting, or sponsorship, is a way for your organization to get your message across to our listeners in a way that is effective and popular. If you're interested, our office number is 956-5288 or email office at ktuh.org.
Nothing like a little YMCA, village people. Back to my interview. If you're just tuning in, I am sharing this really brilliant uh, conversation I'm having with the director of Fire Island, Andrew Ahn, talking about Gaijin space, talking about breaking boundaries and just centering stories around uh, an Asian American story who happened to be gay. And just, you know, as far as rom-coms go, I have to say I'm not really uh, an, an usual fan of rom-coms but i really was delighted with this film it was so fun and i encourage you to check it out so let's continue this conversation i'm having with the director and he was talking about you know the island life fire island and what it means to kind of come out and and be yourself and comfortable in your own skin really and underwear parties at these crazy um um events around fire island and wherever else these uh communities get together for celebrating their little summer escapades so let's continue again director andrew on here with me on k2h <laughs> relationship and it seems like they're okay to be able to date or sleep with other men um is that something that you put is that is that something like that's norm in the gay community too is to and again i don't want to assume and you know trigger stereotypes but is that something that you address that's quite common yeah i mean um in the film uh we have you know two romantic pairings we've got noah and will and then we have howie and charlie and yeah um you know, Howie and Charlie are maybe more traditional um, in how they see uh, romance and right, relationships. Right. Um, whereas Will and Noah, you know, neither of them believe in, you know, monogamy. And um, what I love about the film is that we show two different ways that people can be in relationships. Um, and both of them are valid. You know, we're not judging either of them. Um, and I think, uh, you know, there are so many um, different ways to um, have a relationship. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever makes the people happy in the relationship should be how it works. And, yeah. you know, I, I think open relationships are becoming more and more popular, you know, across the board, not even Absolutely. just in, you know, queer culture. And so I, I think um, I, I really love that our film can show, you know, two different ways to to be in a relationship. And um, yeah, not just two. I think there are multiple ways that you show <laughs> yeah. that there are so many different facets of relationships, sexual encounters and just, you know, human interactions. And you said it yourself, you know, open relationships. So I feel like 
your film, and I, I, I said it's, I feel like it's historical, as I said earlier, because it's kind of boundary breaking. There hasn't been a film, obviously, of Asians as the forefront um, main characters in a movie that addresses the, um, like you say, unapologetic kind of um, way of showcasing the gay community. And um, in today's world, in today's kind of open, and so I'm a mother, I have three kids and, you know, my teenage kids, you know, gender is not an issue to them. So I'm in a generation where I still think in binary because of the way I grew up and I'm trying to learn these terms. But I think your film opens up a different way of looking at gender through your very specific world. And maybe we can talk, if you could just, you know, give our um, K2H listeners the uh, thoughts on how your film serves to kind of break those boundaries and create spaces that um, reframe how we should be looking at gender. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I really love that we uh, had the honor of working with um, uh, an actor, Tomas Matos, in their first feature. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Tomas's pronouns are they, them, and... Um, you know, their genderqueer identity, you know, became a part of our film. And, and I really love that element of, um, of the story. Um, you know, uh, I, uh, I, I think, you know, we very clearly focused the film on, you know, uh, Noah, who, you know, is a cisgender, gay, Asian American man. Um, uh, but my hope is that, um, you know, uh, we inspire other filmmakers to tell their own versions of, of Fire Island. And, um, you know, I, uh, you know, will um, always support Tomas's career and what they want to do and um, would love to work with them again. <laughs> and, um, and I, uh, I, I think that, um, uh, you know, something like Fire Island um, can show that um, what the industry might have previously said was, um, you know, too niche is actually uh, like super valuable and, and that um, these stories deserve to, you know, uh, get the resources and the platform to be seen by a lot of, a lot of people. Um, so I, uh, I'm really, uh, just so excited to kind of see how um, the uh, the legacy of, of Fire Island um, can grow, and you know, it, even our film, um, you know, it, it may seem like it popped out of nowhere, but um, you know, I'm very aware of uh, this legacy of of queer Asian American film that's come before me, and I think about. Uh, filmmakers like Alice Wu, who mm, uh, made yes. Space and the half of it, um, you know, uh, like there have been films like this before, but they they just might not have gotten the the platform that we're getting. And so yes. I um, I'm really excited to use this platform to you know uh, inspire more people to help more people get their stories told too. That's brilliant. And but I guess I guess this is where I have to ask you how you got that platform, because there's never something that happens overnight. Right. People want to know you're, you're addressing these aspiring filmmakers and writers who want to flip the script like you do. How did you get there and how do you how do you suggest people to get there and tell their stories and get spaces to be heard? 
Yeah, it's it's a a, a really um, you know it's a it's a process. Um, I came of age as a filmmaker through uh, the film festival circuit. You know, I um, uh, I uh, made short films uh, in film school and um, got to screen them in festivals around the you know around the world and uh, made a feature called Spa Night um, that uh, played at Sundance and helped me get an agent and a manager. Um, I screened in Honolulu at the Honolulu Rainbow Film yeah, Festival. Yes. Uh, Brent Anbe is a you know big supporter of my work. And right. I uh, just really, um, uh, uh, I, I just really love that community. And so um, I made two independent features and um, started doing uh, some television directing um, you know, directed a couple of episodes of a Netflix show, um, did uh, an episode of MacGyver, you know, uh, really built, you know, a resume and a skill set as a director that, um, you know, allowed me to take advantage of an opportunity like Fire Island, uh, that when Searchlight, you know, asked me to interview for this, um, that I had the experience and, um, you know, the, uh, capability to handle, um, you know, a, a bigger budget feature. Um, and so it was really, you know, uh, a, 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 a decades long process. You know, I uh, started filmmaking, you know, back in 2000 and uh, 2008, 2007, you know, um, and I've just really taken it seriously and um, found community through um, film festivals uh, and, um, you know, have, have uh, been really lucky to meet really wonderful people who have supported my work. Um, well, you always are years. producing good work, creative content, and your perseverance shows by your continual work on them. You know, you can't give up. There, there are going to be doors shut and doors open, right? Like anything. And I think your perseverance shows through your I'm years. <laughs> yeah, I hear. And, and, and it's brilliant. It's paid off. This is, you know, this is incredible that this film is, um, is supported by Searchlight and it's going to be on Hulu. It starts actually, it's screening on Hulu as we speak. Um, so my final question, I guess, is to go back to your, your personal life as an Asian American, as a Korean American, um, and how you uh, grapple with, or maybe how you can suggest for people who are grappling with issues, um, gender issues with uh, pressures from family um, and how to kind of, because there's a lot of stress there. There's a lot of stuff that is so suppressed and, and is creating a lot of psychological trauma to a lot of individuals. So what are your suggestions based on your experience and your community that we can kind of work in very healthy ways to address gender in this world of today? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tricky for me as like a cisgender man to to talk very um, uh, like specifically about gender in a way that I, I think uh, might need to be talked about. But uh, I, I think, uh, you know, for me, um, uh, I, I think it's really important that as Asian Americans, we um, uh, don't uh, think of our differences within the community as um, uh, issues, um, but as things to be celebrated. You know, that if you have a, 
a, a different sexuality or a different gender expression um, that, uh, you know, uh, my hope is that people don't use that against us, you know, but actually celebrate us for it, you know? And um, I think about a, an article that I read, um, you know, uh, that Margaret Cho wrote many years ago um, about how uh, some Korean women tried to get her kicked out of a Korean spa um, because she has tattoos. I was gonna say, yeah. I and I was, I was really, uh, you know, gripped by this article because Margaret talks about how, you know, these women tried to take away her Korean identity um, and uh, that she had to fight for it and that it was her fight for it that um, made it more hers. And for me as a gay Korean American, um, it, that really resonated with me because I so often um, felt at that moment in my life that uh, these two sides of my identity um, couldn't live together um, in my uh, body. And, you know, Margaret uh, showed me a way that I could feel whole. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I think that um, you have to find community and I love that there's a wonderful community of uh, of queer Asian American people that I know and um, and I I encourage people to to seek out people you know yes. to um, meet people within their uh, communities that um, share something in common absolutely and I see that in Fire Island so I encourage people to watch it it's fun it's brilliant it's boundary breaking one quick note I want you to leave us with what and this is Andrew Ani you're wondering um director of Fire Island what's your favorite underwear <laughs> you Come know I have, I have to say my favorite underwear is probably um just like simple Hanes boxers like you know they, they end up they end up like in you know washing and drying over and over like they just get super soft and I think they're really comfortable. <laughs> I think that it probably reflects a lot of your personality right like that's yeah. that's Come it so yeah. okay Haynes guy thank you so much <laughs> this is Andrew Ahn director of Fire Island amazing amazing film um so privileged to be talking to you thank you and good luck with future projects thank you bye
holy water running down my skin. Holy words swell inside my chest. You sing them for him. Yes, you sing them for him. Sing them for him. Yes, I hear you calling. So you cry. So you cry. Was I feeding the river? It's not cold when I'm high. I was high in your presence. Wash my feet in the river. It's not cold when I'm high. I was high in your presence. It's not cold when I'm high. From now on, when things bloom, what shall they fade? Still a joy, still a joy. From now on, when things bloom, or should they fade? Still a joy, still a joy. It was Morning Joy by Victor Taiwo. Wishing you much joy on this Tuesday afternoon. Thank you for tuning in and keeping it locked on K2H. I'm Crystal on Quok Talk. I'm going to be signing out now. Hope you enjoyed the uh, interviews that I shared with you this Tuesday afternoon. And I'll be back next Tuesday in the studio from 3 to 5. If you've missed or are interested in any of my previous ones, you can always go on to K2H SoundCloud under Quok Talk. Anyway, have a wonderful Tuesday afternoon. Keep doing things, spreading joy, um, encouraging, voicing of power, you know, opinions and sharing sisterhood amongst the women in your lives and just moving forward. Thanks again to Sequoia and Sharon Yarbrough for joining me in the studio earlier today. And again, keep it locked to the only station that loves you.
You're listening to KTUH Honolulu. You know.